Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. Australia are ODI world champions once again, making it three consecutive world titles for Meg Lanning's side, with Alyssa Healy hitting a record 170 in that final. With me today to discuss that run-packed final, give a bumper preview of the county championship and discuss the IPL and the rest of the week's international cricket are Phil Walker, Joe Harmon and Taha Hashim. We'll also be joined by Mark Butch later in the show, while Yaz Rana, on holiday this week, has done an interview with Rory Burns. But first, to Christchurch. It panned out pretty much as we expected, with Australia marching through unbeaten to their seventh Women's World Cup title. They are quite good, aren't they, Joe? They are very, very good indeed, yeah. Um, It's not great for the game that they are so much better than everyone else, but that's not their fault. Um, We've just got to give them enormous credit. They've just got every base covered. Even the side just gets better and better. Now they've suddenly got a uh, leggy who turns it big so you know when you've got when you put that many runs on the board and you can throw it to a leggy who's actually getting proper turn just they basically yeah got all, got all bases covered and it felt like in the lead up to the game I thought England would need to have an absolutely outstanding individual contribution to have a chance and they had that and still lost by 70 runs and it just went to show the kind of the golfing class between the two sides and I'm sure we'll come on to England's frailties over the course of the tournament because there were plenty of them but um yeah first first and foremost just congratulations to a brilliant team Nassi Hussain said at the end of that game we're probably watching the best women's cricket team that we've ever seen and I think that's absolutely right I, I, I don't think there's anyone that kind of runs them close even previous Australian sides so. you, you, you said that they're not it's not great for the game you mean not great for the tournament because it is great for the game isn't it that they are showing that this 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 is the level that can be reached. Uh, I mean, fair point. It depends how you look at it. But if you want if you want tight finals, you want good. If you want games where they're actually going to be competitive, then I don't think it's great for the game that we know that we knew. We sat around here, we talked about the tournament, and we basically all said, "Yeah, Australia going to win it." If that continues just for the next decade, in lots of ways, I don't think that is great for the game. In terms of the talent and the the skill on show, obviously that is that is fantastic. And I do think Australia will drag everyone else up with them. And that, that's what you hope to see from England in the next few years. For now, it's like something to quite kind of marvel at. But if it gets to a point where, I mean, like a football equivalent would be like the like the German league, you know, like Bayern Munich winning the league every year. That's not particularly enjoyable, right? Um, but like, well, I think we're still at the stage where it's like, I think especially because they didn't win the last World Cup. This is like, this is what they've been building towards for five years. And now this is kind of the crowning achievement. And so it's still 
they're something still kind of novel to how incredible they are. And the I think the thing that's quite enjoyable right now is kind of the different ways you can look at how great they are. You can look at um, like their their winning streak in this format, but you can also kind of look at like look at the scorecard where you have Meg Lanning coming in at five and making ten, and she she could claim to be the greatest. Only I batter the women's game has ever seen. You look Perry coming in at seven, not bowling, um, and like they could they could get away with not using the greatest all rounder they produced. That's like the thing is you you kind of assume with a great side that the great pay, players are leading it, but it's you know everyone else who's kind of stepping up and just everywhere they kind of have the player and Eccleston, who's the bowler of the tournament, performs against everyone else and then against Australia. A combined figures of one for a hundred and forty-eight or something like that. Anand had a difficult Ashes series against him, and they, and they yeah. really they go after her, and other teams aren't really capable of doing that because she barely bowls a bad ball. But but it's worked for them. But this this is what happens when you give the format the respect it deserves, and when you back it financially, and when you embed it properly into your cricketing culture, uh, and when you treat it on a relatively even footing um, and Australia have done that for years now and so it's 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 the culmination well it's an it's a series of culminative, culminative moments I suppose but it it's absolutely consistent with where they've placed women's cricket over the over far longer than any other country have um, and England have been the only other country that have probably paid lip service to taking it seriously but it's only really in recent years last two or three years really where it's actually properly been backed financially the hope of course is that with broadly equivalent resources the England side and the England setup can move can can narrow that gap but they they're playing they're they're playing catch up as of course are the whole of the world. Yeah, I guess it's because it's not just as if this is a golden generation of a side, as you say. No, it's a golden year. It's a golden culture. Exactly, that's the thing. It's a triumph of one cricketing setup over another. I mean, another player you could pick out was Alyssa Healy. Was the star of the final and the semi final. First player at any World Cup to make hundreds in both of those, and I had a pretty middling tournament up until then. But they can. Uh, it's kind of always someone that they have so many players able to deliver those kind of match-defining performances. Uh, Hannah, Hannah Needham asks, how can the rest of the world compete with Australia? And Joe, do you think, is, is that gap, is it getting wider? Should we expect to see something similar in 2025 or will the changes that England put in place, do you think that will narrow the gap by then? Yeah, it's a good question. I think we're, we're, there's a time lag, isn't there? So I think at the moment, the golf is is probably getting bigger or has kind of perhaps, perhaps reached its peak Um but that's because a lot of the positive changes that have been made, particularly in English cricket, haven't really come to fruition yet. So the extra professionalisation of players, the women's hundred, that is all going to have a big impact. The women's BBL, I can't remember the year it was formed, but it's going on for several years. And, and you're seeing the impact of that young players coming through. You're also seeing it in selection in that Australia are far more willing to give young players a chance because they've seen them do it in the WBBL. Whereas I think this England squad was a bit conservative in its selection and that was in part because they haven't really seen a lot of those young players get a chance to to show what they can do on on a bigger stage and I think that will change quite quickly and it all in terms of we're talking very kind of an English-centric view and it's harder to talk about other women's cricket in other countries because to be honest I don't India obviously if they decided well we're going to put our energies into this well then that that could change 
very quickly indeed and they could rival Australia in four or five years be right up there to this standard but there is not it seems the desire to make that happen Ganguly has not been the, the force of positive change that some hoped that he might be um, but in England I'm quietly confident that the, the, I don't think this is going to go on for 5, 10, 15, 20 years I think, it, I think the gap will close but, but maybe not immediately Yeah I, I would echo that and maybe take it even a bit further down the chain to the grassroots level where you're hearing not just nicely packaged sound bites from you know paid governors and so on but real lived in experiences from volunteer coaches at grassroots level and from uh kind of cricket board employees as well who who who, who will talk to you on and off the record about the work that's being done in the the margins of english cricket and the numbers of girls who are now being exposed to the game as a percentage is considerable and incomparable to what it used to be. The number of women, girls-only cricket teams has, has gone through the roof in recent years. Uh, the number of girls who are exposed to the game at an introductory level through the various schemes that are in place and various cricket boards are in cahoots with Chance to Shine and other equivalent kind of charities that the MCC Foundation and so on are doing good work. All of that helps break down those barriers that have been around the game for very long. If you look at the social demographic of the England team, as Shield Berry was acknowledging, that it's still quite narrow and the professional pool and the semi-professional pool is still relatively narrow. But I do not think, if we're being positive about the game's future, I don't think that will be reflected. Um, I don't think it will be skewed in five to ten years' time. I think that there is good things happening now out there in a way that simply wasn't for for female cricketing participation in previous years yeah i suppose it'd be interesting to see in terms of selection in the immediate future in terms of how England get the results better you know for the t20 World cup next year for example how quickly they decide to bring those players through because this was the commonwealth games this summer which is a massive opportunity and you might say that this current crop have a better chance of winning that than if they brought through say the alice capsies and the other players but also maybe that now is just the time to to back all that youth i don't know um, we've all, there's an interesting situation developing with with Brunt and Shrubsall. Um I mean, it's not quite Broad Anderson levels, and hopefully, it doesn't get to that level of kind of animosity. But Brunt had a had a poor World Cup, a really poor World Cup, which I didn't really see coming because I thought she bowled brilliantly in the Ashes, particularly in that Test match. But um, I think she she had maybe seven games where she didn't take a wicket, which is just so, so unlike her. Um, and Shrubsall, I thought, came back into the tournament quite quite well but it's all a case of how how the two beneath that are probably getting people most well there's Freya Davis is already part of the group but then there's uh, Lauren Bell and Izzy Wong who are both being talked about for for a little while they're still both young it's it's when you make that change and we're seeing this with the England men's test team it's a really hard call to make uh, and I just wonder whether Brunt and Shrubsall might make that call for themselves quite quickly when um, Isha Guha interviewed Catherine Brunt for the magazine perhaps what, what last summer um, Brunt talks about the fact she's got a kind of a property business going and she, and she will she now feels like there is something beyond cricket which she didn't have before so you know I think she'll probably stick around for the Commonwealth Games and then that that might, that might be it but they are going to have to start thinking about that transition yeah and Shrubsoul is not is not old by any stretch but she was notably emotional around the final as well like she was one of the more visibly sort of affected by the anthem uh, and in the aftermath as well obviously it's hard when you are the final wicket to fall that might be more natural but Nathasane even on commentary was set was just stopped short of saying he expected her to 
basically call time in the very near future to say we will see what happens with those. Uh, let's talk about a couple of the other players, I guess. I mean, one of the young players, along with Eccleston, who did emerge and improve reputation, was uh, Nat Siver, who made two unbeaten hundreds against Australia, which is a ridiculous thing to do across a World Cup campaign. And that innings in the final was just one of the all-time great innings in a losing cause, wasn't it? Phil, Phil said ahead of the tournament, I wrote prior to that, that this was going to be a kind of a real moment in Siva's career because she's she's obviously achieved a lot, but there is that sense that she has actually underachieved on a personal level just because of how good she is. And what she produced in that tournament, kind of, she answered those critics, but also kind of backed them up as well in a sense that, you know, she's scored two brilliant hundreds against the best team we've ever seen in, in the game. Uh, but then that does make you think, well, we should have seen more. I think she scored five ODI hundreds in her career now. She should have double that. And four of them have come in World Cups as well. So it's And this is it. And and you kind of she's such a tricky cricketer to analyse because part her her weaknesses are kind of also her strengths and that you can watch her sometimes and think kind of give a bit more. There's not a kind of obvious passion there and you think maybe that's why in games that don't matter so much she doesn't perform. But then also in a really high pressure situation like the the final on Sunday it was massively to her to her benefit that that she had that attitude and she was like she was really you could see smiling all the way through it talking to the younger some of the younger players that came out to bat with her and she stayed calm perhaps because the target was so big it took some pressure off but she was so calm and was managing that situation so well in really demanding circumstances so you you kind of can't have it both ways we can't kind of criticize her for, for um being too relaxed when actually that that is absolutely to her benefit at times but I think hopefully she's still 20 she's only 29 she could still have four or five years of being a, a really top level England player so hopefully this is kind of a corner turn where she's scoring rather than just lovely 30s 40s half centuries the odd hundred now we can hopefully see a run like Perry has produced kind of in the in the four or five years ago yeah and, and and there are you know reasons to be cheerful Sophia Dunkley played a couple of key innings as well in her first 50, big 50 over tournament um, she's a fascinating player to watch. You know, she's creative and she's watchable, and th- there is a model there that that hopefully other girls can look to emulate. You know, her pathway into a side which has not always felt especially open to to young players, and and that is possibly a question mark against Heather's approach that she trusts players uh, possibly to a, to a fault in the end. It's both a, a good thing and a bad thing in a captain, I suppose. And, you could and, argue and, that has stunted Dunkley's progress a little bit as well yeah I think they've been a bit slow to get her in to be honest given her talent is that obvious yeah and she has a bit of kind of big match spark to her as well as we saw in the uh, in the bilateral between England and Australia so you know there are reasons to be cheerful Uh, you mentioned Lauren Bell it'd be good to see her come through you know she's she's tall she's got a bit of pace she's she's got a really good record be interesting to see see when she makes makes her call um so yeah, look, it, it's been it's been quite chastening, you know, and fair play to Australia for really setting the bar impossibly high on some in some respects. But yeah, they have to start now. Really, this is the wake up call in a way. Really, spin bowling as well. In terms of they had well, obviously they have Eccleston, but Charlie Dean came in bowled really well. But then they have depth there as well. I mean, Sarah Glenn wasn't even at the tournament. She's done pretty well in her first couple of years of international cricket. They've got Maddie Villiers as well. Um, so I mean. That is one thing um, in terms of, yeah, I mean, we already talked about the quicks. That's going to be the kind of 
point of the attack where they're going to have to slowly kind of phase out and kind of actually identify two solid replacements there. Yeah, I suppose the the other big area where England would perhaps let down was the, the fielding. I think both Haynes and Healy were dropped and they're on about 40 on the same K crossover, sort of tough chances, but ones that, you, if, I mean, if they'd taken them, then may, maybe they they win that game. And I guess that is one of the other big things separating them and Australia and probably one of the big things that come with professionalisation and just being able to do it week in, week out. That's something you just have to hone rather than rely on natural ability to sort of make up the gap, if that makes sense. I yeah, I mean, that was frustrating because those those two catches felt to White and Siver, you'd expect they're two of their better fielders to, to the safer pairs of hands. You can talk about kind of golfing class or whatever else, but that those were two catches that those two players should have taken, really. And, you know, then it could have been a different game. Even it was frustrating watching that chase because even though they were going quite well, you felt like even though they just been able to keep them to three twenty, that could have been a really, really good game because uh, it was the it was the constant need to keep up with the rate that led to them losing regular wickets, which meant the game wasn't quite as close as it should have been. I think three twenty would have been a decent game overall. Though you know, it's a brilliant tournament in terms of the advancement of the game. Some brilliant individual games, some real tight tight games as well. More last over games probably per per game number than than any big tournament that I've seen. I actually looked into this and well, and and, and, you're, and you're spot on. Just in terms of either last over finishes or wins by 15 runs or fewer, this is just way way out ahead of any other tournament in history. Um, I suppose that if if you so you could say that makes the best ODI World Cup ever. I guess you could argue maybe it was a, a an incredible seven team tournament and then Australia kind of did their own thing possibly. Uh, but yeah, an incredible tournament, and you know Australia were pushed in a couple of games. I mean, this this th- there was always the sort of thing they were holding teams at arm's length a bit. But England got close-ish in that first group game. They they were a couple of slightly more substantial partnerships have really pushed them close in the final. South Africa took them to the last over as well. Yeah. So like even with their dominance, there was still and at least Perry said this after the game that you know they still felt they were under pressure at various points in time. Um, so yeah an incredible tournament in terms of how close everything was um, on to the county championship and I spoke to Mark Butcher about the scheduling of the competition and also about England's search for a managing director hi Butch uh, slightly less picturesque settings than last week but I suppose you had to you had to come home at some point uh, there's nothing wrong with my extension uh, so <laughs> not quite not nothing uh, nothing beats Grenada though for, for great views what a beautiful place that is yeah, I suppose it must have been a bit of a rude awakening. Not sure when you came back, but it was uh, it was what snowing last Friday, which of course means that the uh, the start of the county championship must have been less than a week away. Uh, we'll we'll get into the nitty gritty of who's going to win it and pick out players to watch, whatever. Uh, but start with the schedule itself. Um, so the season starts with seven consecutive rounds of the county championship. Obviously, it starts in early April. Uh, Stuart Broad is sitting out of the first round, basically saying in his column in the Daily Mail that he just wouldn't be able to play seven consecutive games in seven weeks and then be fit for if he's picked for a full test summer. It seems to me that this structure still isn't quite right, I think. No, I mean, it's horrendous. It's horrendous in lots of ways, really. Um, the, the, what have we got? Sort of um, four four rounds in April and then another, another three in May. They're, they're almost consecutive, aren't they? You kind of... 7th, 14th, 21st, 28th, 5th. It's literally Thursday to Sunday every week, I think, yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, you know, which is, which no team is going to be able to, is going to be able to play sort of the same 11, you would imagine, 
um, each time with only, what, three, three and a half days in between the matches. Um, pitches are going to be an issue, obviously. You know, it's been snowing all week. <laughs> so they're, they're not going to be... Uh, they're not going to be conducive to uh, to lots of different types of, uh, of of cricket. Whether that be you know run making can actually sometimes be easier when it's freezing cold because the um, the ball doesn't do anything. You know the the, the, uh, the bowlers find it very difficult to find any sort of movement. Um, but the pitches will be slow, and you know all of all of the usual problems that you're going to have with playing with playing first class cricket at this time of year. Um, and also that I mean Stuart's absolutely right. If your if your plan is to be involved in in the test matches as they as they begin, um, you know the back end of May, beginning of June, then the last thing you want to be doing is playing seven consecutive championship matches in the run up. You've got to try and hedge your bets a little bit as to where you know as to where you need to get yourself in order to be able to then take time off to be ready to go and play those test matches. So it, it causes an enormous amount of problems. Um, um, not you know, notwithstanding the fact that it isn't, it's not very pleasant playing when it's freezing cold. You know, it's not not a game designed for it, a ball designed for it, or a or a you know, fielding is not designed for standing still for long long periods of time in, in temperatures of less than ten degrees. So, very very tricky, um, and and dare I say it, wrong. Um, you know, so that that's something that whoever the new managing director, whenever he or dare I say she. Um, is given the uh, is given the job is going to have to look into because it it can't go on. I mean, I, I'm trying to think back to to my you know the the final the final years of of my um, time in first class cricket. And you would if you played two matches in April, you considered yourself a little bit unlucky if you got both rounds that were in in April, mm -hmm. um, let alone playing four of them. So you know it's nobody likes it, least of all the players. Groundsmen don't like it. Um, and it doesn't, and it really doesn't help. It doesn't help, help you know, if you're talking bigger picture um, in terms of producing top quality um, test match cricketers, whether they be pace bowlers, spinners, or even batters. Um, none of that is, is of any use to any of them, I'm afraid. Yeah, and I suppose one of the things with Broad is that he also said in his column that whether he gets picked for England isn't really down to how many wickets he takes for knots, which is true for him, but isn't true for lots of other players. Like if, if you are an Ollie Robinson wanting to prove your fitness or a Craig Overton wanting to take stacks of wickets or, you know, many other seam bowlers, you are going to want to play every week to make your case as unanswerable as possible. Uh, but then that also means that if you're a guy who might bowl, at, you're, you're going to have to bowl within yourself, right? You can't play seven consecutive games at 100% as a fast bowler. No, although although that is a, that's a real throwback to, to the days before players were contracted. Um, you know that, that was kind of how that's how you got yourself into to the Test match team in the first place was that you'd play as many championship games, take as many championship wickets as you possibly could, and then um, and then be then be seventy percent fit when you got the call up to play in, in your first Test match of the summer. Uh, that's how that's how things used to be. Um, you know, central contracts have removed that. So you know, in, in many ways, I suppose that the, the difficulty for um, for the guys on the outside. Is not actually a difficulty. Stuart Broad is a, is a contracted player. Jimmy Anderson is a contracted player. Ollie Robinson is a contracted player. All of these guys will be will be at the top of the list when it comes to selection, regardless of what happens in the in the in the initial part. The key for the bowlers, as always, and the selectors with the bowlers, is 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 being able to pick them when they are fresh, fit and firing, bowling well, etc. So for them, seven matches perhaps 
for the ones that are contracted anyway, seven matches in the beginning isn't really an issue for them because they would never be expected to play them anyway. For the guys trying to break in, different story. And of course, for the batters, where the issues have, 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 have been um, starkly um, to the fore once again, due to the, you know, the way that test match series in the West Indies um, finished up. You, you have the lottery of kind of, you know, what, what, sort of, what sort of batting conditions are you going to be faced with in those seven matches? Um, leading up to the first test match, and you know who who is going to win the lottery and and play on the on the decks that are that are slightly more friendly, and who is going to who is going to find themselves with it zagging all over the place and not being able to lay a bat on it for half of the half of their lead up matches to the to the interim, and that that's you know that there therein lies the issue because if if bowlers are getting sort of unnatural or uneven assistance due to conditions or, or pitches, it's difficult to then judge them on merit, and it's also very difficult for for to judge batters on merit, depending on, you know, what conditions that they've managed to come up against and what bowlers they've managed to come up against in order to get themselves selected in the first place. So you're, you're leaving whoever, whoever has the, the, the honour or dishonour of having to pick the side in the first place, going on, going on things like feel and going on things like what you're hearing uh, from, from coaches and from what other judges are talking about and actually almost having to disregard the numbers as being a, an indicator of, of whether or not somebody deserves to be picked. And if you have a system whereby disregarding the numbers is actually a, a good thing or a sensible thing to do, then your system isn't doing the job. Um, it's, <laughs> it's killing people, a system like that. Um, and, but that's where we are. Um, and that's where we have been for the last, goodness knows, for far too long, at least, at least for the last two or three seasons, for one reason or another. But going back further than that also, um, as the season has been pushed more and more to the margins in championship cricket. Yeah, you, you mentioned pitches there. Obviously, you mentioned a lot of stuff there, but we, we've got a chat with Rory Burns coming up later on the show, and he talks a bit about pitches as well and about groundsmen in particular. And I know I noticed you got a little bit of stick from a couple of county groundsmen about, uh, I mean, you know, part of the course, it's, uh, it's part of the, <laughs> one of the risks of the trade, isn't it? But uh, he was sort of, make, Burns was making the point that... Um, you know, we, we do have lots of good groundsmen, they work really hard, but the demands just of having to, you know, create pitches in March and then also having to create pitches in September, even October sometimes, it is just inevitable that you are going to have to either under-prepare some or have some which are, you know, a bit, you know, and, and, and that is just, that's also one of the things, it's, it's, not, it's almost not about when you're playing the games, though it is that, it's the fact that there is just so many that you can, once you're trying to fit this much in, the pitches are inevitably going to suffer no matter how you structure or move it around or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, anybody with a, with a non-emotional reaction to, to what I said, which was, you know, the pitches have been terrible, but that's another story. The other story is that the time being asked to prepare them when there is no heat, um, you know, you, you're going to struggle to get solid, hard, rock-hard services when you start playing your championship matches in April. Um, the other challenge is having to produce so many pitches for so so many different types of um, different uh, different formats of the game, one after the other, meaning that your ground is never fallow, if you like. You never have the chance to sort of get on, to get out there on the surfaces and roll them to death and, and do all the other things that need to be done in order to prepare them in time. Um, and therefore, you're kind of, you know, you're all of your preparation time is, is having to be scrambled and squeezed into these tiny periods, wherein, you know, the, the weather might not be helping you out. You might have to keep the damn things undercover for a week because it pees down the rain, you know, all of which is 
is in com completely and utterly valid in terms of defense of the groundsman. And I don't even for a second um, had a go at a single, you know, I wouldn't even dream of having a go at a single groundsman for not working hard enough, not, not, for, not for preparing pitches properly, not for doing everything that they could in their power with their expertise to make things right. But the system we have doesn't allow them to do the job to the best of their ability. So quite rightly, they get upset and, and take it out on me. But, um, you know, the, the, the outcome is what we talk about. If you're asking me to judge a pitch or if you're asking me to judge a player, I'm not going to judge a player based around the amount of time that he spent in the nets. I'm going to judge a player based around the amount of productivity and output he has as, as, a, as, as a run scorer, a run maker. And similarly, if you, if you talk to me about pitches, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to excuse the pitches for, for not playing particularly well because I know the groundsmen work really hard. That's how it works. You know, what are you interested in? You're interested in the outcome. You're interested in, in the type of, type of cricket that is able to be played and the type of cricketers that are able to thrive um, and survive on whatever the surfaces you have. And at the moment, the surfaces, for all of those multitudes of reasons, aren't producing the desired outcome. And it's, it's the outcome that's the issue, not the, not the blokes who are sat on the lawnmowers. Hopefully they haven't resigned or whatever it was that they were threatening to do. Uh, is, is it simplistic to say that 14 first-class games, 14 county championship games, is just too many, basically? Well, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's only too many if your sandwich is, is if there is too much of everything else. Um, you know, again, I, I played, you know, it wasn't so long ago, it was 16. Now, 14 is too many. Why is it too many? Well, because we've now got four competitions instead yeah. of just three. And in those four competitions, you know, the 50 over one has all, has all but disappeared. So, you know, that it can't be right. Um, and, and, I've, and I've spoken about how, and this is, you know, something for whoever your, um, whoever your director of cricket ends up being is, if the 100 is here to stay, which it is, right? I don't think there's any question about that. The, the, the counties themselves have kind of ensured that that's going to be the case. Then you have to find a way of reducing, um, for me, you reduce the blast and you make the, the blast entirely, and I think I might have said this on here before, you make, you make the blast something that actually works with and for the 100s. The two things become symbiotic. Um, at the moment, they work against each other and you're trying to play them both to their to their fullest extent it's just not possible not if you not if you value playing four day cricket not if you value um being world cup winners in the 50 overcome you just it can't be done and so so as always something has to give now you talk about championship cricket 14 games right ideally ideally i reckon 12 would probably be enough if we had a different system a different system altogether with with fewer teams etc but, then, but I worry about sort of going any less than 14 simply because we live in a country where the weather isn't particularly good. And you could very easily end up, if you started with 10, you could end up with six completed matches, seven completed matches, depending on when they're played. And even then it doesn't matter. I mean, you could play in the middle of July and August and lose and lose half. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> it's almost an insurance policy to have more games than, than you would think, than you would deem necessary in a country where you could rely on the weather a bit more. So um, I don't think 14 games in, its, in, in and of itself is a, is, a, is a massive problem. I think what goes on around it makes it a problem. Yeah, okay. You, you've mentioned that that's going to be one of the things on the plate of the new managing director a few times. And we, we don't know much yet about who that could be, but there have been a few reports and the applications uh, are now closed for it. From what's been reported, we know that Rob Key, Marcus North, 
Ed Smith and Mark Nicholas have all applied and it seems like Marcus North might be the front runner. Rob Key and Ed Smith also pretty strong contenders from that. You'll know most of these guys a bit. Uh, who do you think would do a good job? Who do you think's likely to, to, to want it the most? And, and what do you think makes a good managing director as well? Well, I mean, I think I think it's fair to say that they they all want it, um, or, or at least at least three out of the four I know do. I mean, Casey is is, is 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 a little bit of a surprise simply because um, because I know him that well that, and I'd never heard him sort of express a, a burning desire to do it. But that that doesn't mean that it's not so. Um, I, I think they'd all in their in their own ways bring a bring a, a real a real quality and a, and, a, and a distant eye to what goes on. I think. Part of the issue that the English cricket has had is, is that it, it's become increasingly myopic. You know, everybody almost comes from within the system and they're all making decisions based on people they know within the system. And when Ed Smith was removed as chief selector, um, what was that? India, wasn't it? The, during the India tour or just after the India tour uh, by the last managing director. He was kind of like the last outsider involved in the entire organisation. Everybody else had either been promoted from within or was already within um, a, a system which which perhaps has become a little bloated. So um, I, the, the thing I like about, you know, Marcus North is perhaps slightly slightly different to that. He's kind of on the, on the inside, but not quite. He brings that sort of, you know, the, the outsider quality of being from a, from a different country, albeit that he's been doing a terrific job up, up there at Durham. Um, you know, so, I, I mean, Mark Nicholas... There's no absolutely no question his love of, of the game and his his ideas and the way that he the way that he thinks about English cricket and, and his place in in the uh, you know in, in the the grand scheme of things. Um, I wonder perhaps if if he is a little bit too far removed from uh, from things. You know, having said it'd be great to have a voice, an outside voice, whether or not just his his age perhaps and his distance from sort of like the days of the days where he was on the active coal face of cricket might count against him. I don't know. But for the other three, and you know, and Ed Smith, I think, as as much as he's not going to be the player's favourite, and never was, and that's part of the reason why he ended up out of the job, I think. I think that 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 gives him a real advantage, gave him a real advantage as being somebody that could see things from a from a from a different point of view and if you talk about sort of somebody who has the, the mental capacity to try and knit together all of the 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 the, the parts around development programs to uh, you know coaching programs um not to mention when you get to the top and the structure of english cricket and all the rest of it there's somebody that certainly has the uh, the, the mental capacity to kind of take all that stuff on yeah okay uh and then just finally on the county championship uh who, who's going to win it do you think <laughs> I don't know who, who who's going to get off to a flyer in 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 April and May. I don't know. Um, I mean, look, from from what I saw of, of, of York, uh, Warwickshire as a team last year, they're going to be they're going to be the team to beat again. Lanks will, will also be very strong. I don't think there's going to be too much in the way of surprises. Really, um, Essex will will be will be tough again. Um, nice to see Simon Harmer back playing Test match cricket again after all this time. Um, but you know, the, so it, I don't think there's going to be a surprise out of that Division One group, with the exception maybe of, of, of Yorkshire. If Yorkshire don't end up, and the rights and wrongs of whether they do or don't, particularly given what happened to Durham with their financial problems, if Yorkshire don't end up receiving some sort of points penalty or even, um, and you would have thought they'd have decided upon this by now, or even sort of start off end up having to swap with 
um, somebody in Division Two and start off down there, then they might well have enough um, righteous indignation to kind of to carry them through um, into doing something extraordinary at the back of you know what's been extraordinary turmoil for that club. So you know that maybe they're maybe they're worth an outside outside fiver for somebody. Um, but beyond that, I think that the strength lies where it where it has done before. I mean, Northants, Gloucester, um, Kent, who who are also up there at the top table, will all have will all have their good days, I think. But I'm not sure that, that any any of those are strong enough to challenge. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be having a fiver on my old team. Sorry, even though Gareth Batty's taken over and whatever that that they need they need a good couple of solid solid seasons of, of solid cricket. Um, before they're up there challenging again, so I think it's I think it's up to Warwickshire, Essex, Lancashire, Yorkshire to battle it out at the top lane. Well, thanks for joining us as ever. Um, as discussed with Butch, the county championship starts on Thursday. The format is as it was supposed to be in 2020, with Division One containing not everyone plays everyone twice, and North Ants, Gloucester, and, Le- and Lancashire all promoted back up based on how they did in 2019. Three years ago, yeah, three <laughs> years ago, yeah. Uh, Joe, you've gone Hampshire to win it in the mag. Came within one wicket of clinching it last year. It's just just based on. I mean, they've got loads of good players and they've signed some more this season, basically. So <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah, as it goes. Um, yeah, it's largely based around the bowling attack, which is. I mean, there are a lot of good bowling attacks around around the country. You could argue the best is in Division Two with knots as well. Certainly in terms of seam. Um, but yeah, Hampshire got Carl Abbott, Moa Bass, Keith Barker, Brad Will, and then you got um, Mason Crane and Liam Dawson. Um, there is plenty to work with there. They're just, that is that was brilliant last year, and they're going to continue to be brilliant. For me, it was that the batting has taken taken a, a leap up a bit with um, Nick Gubbins, who was there for some of last year, but not for all of it. But more crucially, Ben Brown, who's arrived from Sussex and just scores mountains of runs in county cricket every year. Uh, James Vince has lacked support, and now he's got it. Uh, so I think they look a really well balanced side. I think Ben Brown's your new England keeper batsman, right? Yeah, he's he's my my new. It's amazing hobby what horse. twenty minutes conversation on the on the phone does. <laughs> I was really sold. I have to say, no, he he tackled <laughs> he tackled a lot of the issues that have been talked about. Well, and it was interesting to see some of the people who were reacting to that piece afterwards. Other county cricketers who obviously felt he was speaking not only for himself but perhaps for them as well. Um, but yeah, he, he he said himself, "I don't know if I'd be any." good at test cricket but no one's ever given me a go and you can't, you can't say much more than that really Was it, did he, didn't he say England would be foolish not to consider properly experienced gnarled players who have been around the block yeah and the part of the justification for that was first of all that we've seen youngsters struggle but also that players are fitter until they're much older I mean you know Darren Stevens is obviously the extreme example but players are very very good at 35 36 in the way that they would have been just seeing out their career previously so he thinks the conversation should shift slightly. And I think there's, you know, he's 33, so he's saying that with added motivation. But I think he's I think he's right. And England's test team has done nothing to, to suggest that isn't the case. Taha, Phil, you're both backing Lanks, I suppose, uh, six or seven weeks of uh, of, of Jimmy. That'll, uh, <laughs> that, that makes him quite compelling. Yeah, I just I thought I heard Phil was backing Lanks. I thought I'd back them Phil too. Phil backs Lanks every year, doesn't um, he? Certainly last year, possibly the year before that. I backed Lancashire last year because uh, someone else had backed Essex and I wasn't allowed to back Essex because we needed some variety in, in the oh, predictions. This is the level of analysis we have. <laughs> uh, and then they did really well. So I decided to back them this year as well. Um, I mean, they're another side with a very, very good attack. They replaced Alex Davis pretty well there with 
Bill Saul. Uh, Hassan Ali is a pretty county overseas signing. Uh, so you, you know, with Anderson potentially around for those first few weeks, uh, with Sakib Mahmood. Uh, Tom Bailey as well. Yeah, Tom Bailey, Hassan Ali, quite a few <laughs> decent quicks there. Um, pretty core, pretty decent, like, batting group that doesn't get talked about enough, I think. You know, Jennings is, uh, Keen Jennings, uh, Luke Wells, Bahannon, uh, obviously played pretty well last year. Yeah, Bahannon's now become one of the, you know, the, the key county players, uh, key county number number three fours in the in the game, um, on the edge of the England setup, and from what you hear here and there, he was the standout player in the on the Lions' leg of the Ashes winter. Uh, so you have all the components in in place. You also have the greatest cricketer who I wouldn't recognise if I walked past him in the street in history in Dane Villas, who's captain, keeper, run scorer, all the rest of it. And yet I wouldn't have a clue if, if I if I bumped into him in the street. He he holds the whole thing together um, superbly well. Uh, I just think they've got a lot a lot of options. Also, you mentioned Phil Salt, who is interested in Red Bull cricket and may well feature at five or six in that side. But you've also got Liam Livingston, who will come back at some point and will feature at some point down the line in the in the in July and or in September. You've also got possibly Joss Butler, who might who might want to feature in the odd Red Bull game. So they've got a lot of options, um, and as you say, they've got a gun seam attack and a brilliant leggy in Mr. Matthew Parkinson, who had the the Parkinson Claxon for twenty five minutes in. So yeah, look. Yeah, it could be them, or they could get relegated. That's the beauty of, of the of the county championship. This is it, and I, I yeah, I've I've put my name's predictions in the magazine, but it is an absolute mugs game. I mean, yeah, you could g- genuinely title contenders are also feasibly going down this year. I think you look at that division. North Ants look to me like they're going to have a real struggle, uh, but apart from them, Gloucester are the other kind of smaller county that are, that are, that are there. Good by signings, though, Joe. Good signings. Good my signings. second club, love Gloucester. And and they won a lot of games last year. They now have to win. North Ants, it, it is tricky, this going back to 2019 thing, because they haven't got any of that record behind them. Uh, so, so at the risk of just sort of sprawlingly talking randomly about it, Adam Rossington, who was skipper at North Ants up until a couple of weeks ago and received the news from the club that he wasn't going to be captain for this upcoming season. And so, as he diplomatically put it to me this morning at the Essex Media Press Day... I decided to consider what other options might be out there, which is a way of saying I am not. I didn't want to play for that club again if I'm not going to be captain. The club released a statement saying this is unfortunate. Rossington has said himself, I'm surprised and saddened to be leaving a club that I've enjoyed playing at for a number of years. However, given the situation around the captaincy and so on and so on, this kind of setback and he's one of their best players if not their the best player you know he's he's an explosive batter he's a good keeper he's a white ball um nailed on but he's useful red ball cricket that's the kind of thing where if that happens to a club especially a club as you say is going to be hanging in there a bit that happens a week before your first game then alarm bells you know are, are going there so you can't bet on much in that top division but you can probably say that if they survive that is one hell of an achievement yeah Bizarrely managed situation. I don't know what's gone on there, but to leave it this late, knowing that there's, there was a chance this would happen, and now they're not really in a position to. to yeah, I haven't spoken to anyone them. from the club, but uh, I spoke to him for ten minutes this morning, and it was literally his first day in Chelmsford in Essex. Um, he's, they put him up in a hotel overnight, and uh, and he's as stunned and 
baffled by it all as anybody else's, it would seem. Um, and he, de- he described it all as very surreal. He said, look, literally this time last week, I was gearing up. I'd gone on pre-season with North Ants. So look, probably something has been playing out for a while there and the, the full story may or may not come out. I don't know. But uh, he certainly did not see this. Uh, he wasn't reading the tea leaves on this one. I suppose two things they do have. I mean, Ricardo Vasconcelos is he is a very promising young batter and has done very good things. But I'm I'm, I'm genuinely interested to see how Ben Sanderson goes in Division One. So it's it's it's, it's two up, two down, and none of us have picked Essex to win it. Phil, could they be in that relegation scrap? Well, uh, well, I only didn't pick Essex because you know I get it in the neck, don't I? Um, well, if, if we are going to dwell on Essex, then again, they've recruited well. They've got Critchley in from Derbyshire. Rossington will be useful as a backup keeper bat. Uh, they have quality throughout. Dan Lawrence will play eight games in a row, um, having come off the back of a half-decent West Indies tour. They've brought in a brilliant overseas option um, in the Australian quick uh, whose name I can't pronounce, Stetsdeketi. His record is good. Um, he was top wicket-taker for his state last year in red ball cricket. He's a white ball cricket um, star as well. He's. I was speaking to Lawrence about him this morning because he faced him in a Lions game. He says he's quick, tall, strong, but he's got that Aussie coming in hard element to him as well. Um, Essex are really, really thrilled that they've got hold of him and they had Siddle in place last year he's a Siddle-esque type bowler uh that they're they're strong they're, they're they're strong from top to bottom and the thing with Essex is that they they back themselves they fancy themselves they believe that they're going to win every game that they play and and not many cricket teams can say that uh, so they'll they'll be in amongst it for sure they'll be in amongst it Simon Harmer okay is is with South Africa at the moment but he'll be back within three weeks two weeks uh, he might not play every single game with South Africa being over here in the summer, but that'll be interesting in itself. That'll bring a couple of other options to, to, to play. I'm not necessarily saying they're going to win it because if Harmer only if Harmer only plays, you know, two-thirds of the games, then, then it might be trickier. Lawrence m- may well be out of the picture playing for England. So you lose your two real guns there. So they might not win it by any means, but I can't, they will be in the mix for sure. Mm-hmm. I am going to go with Somerset to win it. It's partly heart overhead, but I, I do think Matt Renshaw, if he is informed, there was some flickers of it, I think, over the Australian season, he could make a big difference. What's got, the heart thing, by the way? Uh, I just like them. I, I mean, I eventually want to see them win a championship in, in my lifetime. So you just <laughs> be feel nice. sorry for them? Uh, no, not not sorry exactly. I mean, it's it's part. I mean, I guess it's heart in that you think because they have got close so many times at some point, it must happen, which isn't exactly a logical way to think. It's like flipping a coin and getting four tails and thinking the next one must be a heads. There's also uh, a sense that the fans, and this isn't to say fans don't care elsewhere, but it feels like they particularly care. And Taunton really is like the heart of that Somerset club. And it, it is a big thing in that. And there's not, there's not other, there's not Premier League football teams around that way, for instance. So it, it feels like it matters more and then that makes it more of a story. Also, I think we've all written the story about three or four times so it'd be nice if it actually <laughs> came true. Yeah, I'm trying to think if you haven't mentioned so far and it must just be the club here, I think. Sorry, which... And Kent. Think, and, and Kent, yes. Who I had Kent to go... I mean, that is my home county, but yes. I had Kent to go down with North Hants. Uh, just, I know they won Division 3, which, you know, not sure quite what that means. Um, but it's quite a leap to have, ended, to, to have had a very bad run before they ended up in Division 3 and then find themselves in, in, in Div 1. I th- their batting was an issue 
last year and I think will continue to be so. Good another side with a good attack, but everyone's got a good attack. It's it's, it's whether your batters can step up really. And future England captain Sam Billings as well. Will is running the team or he's in a, he's, he's at the IPL at the moment. He's in India, isn't he? Yeah. Um, we're choosing I think Jack Leaning's captain of the Red Bull side okay. for a bit. Right. Drummond's doing the white ball stuff until Bettings arrives. Yeah. But then Lee and Bell Drummond both had horrible seasons. I guess that's why Bell Drummond's not captaining the Red Bull side because he needs to just get his head down and score some runs. So what one of the few counties we haven't mentioned so far are Surrey. And uh, Yaz spoke to Rory Burns about his slightly strange winter, uh, how he's gearing up for the new season and county pitches and county schedule stuff. What's your, what's your winter been like since you got back from Australia? Uh, it's probably involved quite a bit of family time, to be honest. Uh, took some took some time away from cricket a little bit. Um, so yeah, it's nice to spend some time with wife and daughter, um, and just basically reset. And then uh, yeah, been back in pre-season, hitting balls and, and standing standing the slips. How long was your break between getting back from Australia and getting back into the training centre here? Uh, it's probably about five weeks in the end. Um, yeah, probably just over a month. It just had a. Mate Stag doing there as well, which was quite nice. So yeah, play some golf, um, and then yeah, just back in amongst it and and back with the lads. Really, you've been involved with England for quite a long time for, for for three years as a very central part of that group. What was it like seeing England play from afar? Yeah, I probably didn't watch too much of it. Um, I was keeping an eye on the scores and keeping mm. an eye on obviously folks who was back in. Um, so it was nice to see him get a go uh, and show what he can do. Um, but yeah, I, I probably didn't watch too much of it, um, and yeah, just support it from afar, really. There's been loads of chat for the last year or so, particularly after the Ashes and after the West Indies series, about what life is like opening the batting and batting in general in county cricket. One area, one focus has been pitches. Do you think there's anything in the argument that some some people are saying that pitches have got worse? What's it from your perspective? What's life like being an opener now in 2022 compared to what it was in 2014 or something like that? Uh, yeah, it's been difficult. I think our our county cricket uh, promotes um, you know skills based bowlers that can swing the ball or nibble the ball on, on green surfaces with a Duke's ball mm. which obviously suits our own conditions um, and probably fulfills the need of counties at times rather than actually um, maybe promoting guys forward to, for the, to the test arena like I said I think mm. facing Stark Cummins Hazelwood and, and Lyon is, is fractionally different to what you get in the county game mm. um, you know I think the, the volume of cricket we play in general um, is, is probably too much um, you're probably asking too much from groundsmen uh, in that time. Uh, you're probably asking too much from your players to actually you know, be able to bowl at better speeds and almost promote that on slightly flatter surfaces and you know, promote guys that potentially might not do as much of it, but when you come to go to places like Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, mm. hit the pitch harder so they get a bit more out of it. Interesting mm. you mentioned uh, groundsmen. Uh, Grasman have come under a, a bit of fire recently and I think that's an area that people don't actually understand how it, how it really works. There's a few stats going around that actually April is one of the months in the year where most runs are scored. So that kind of does suggest that actually if there is any problem with the pitches it's not. It's actually because there's quite a lot of cricket being played and there's not much time to turn around a pitch. Yeah. Um, and like you say, I think they, they probably have come under fire and they've probably come a bit under fire unfairly to be honest. Um, you know, like you say, that's probably when the pitches are the freshest, so you, you almost get your best scores. But, um, you know, I think probably as you go through seasons and, and guys wanting home advantage and, and those sort of things, like you do when you go most places around the world, everyone wants their own home advantage, so they take advantage of it 
um, probably rather than looking at the bigger picture. Um, and that's probably something that's well above my pay station yeah. to, to try and sort out. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, these things get highlighted and heightened um, around, you know, times like the Ashes and those sort of things where more scrutiny's come into it. But, um, you know, it has also in recent years produced cricketers for England. So mm. you can't can't disagree with that. And, you know, our white ball side's flourishing and, and the promotion of that. But, yeah, I think the volume of cricket we play in, in the county game and now obviously with the with the 100, I think it's probably just marginally unsustainable to actually, you know, get guys taking the park as, as close to fit as they can be most of the time, mm. um, particularly from the seamers' point of view. And, uh, yeah, to get guys in their, in their best mindset to go and score runs and, and almost promote that. Do you think we've kind of taken for granted how difficult it is being on that grind, both in county cricket but also internationally as well? Um, yeah, I think it's something that maybe gets looked past. Um, you know, it's easy to say this bloke scored this amount of runs or taken this many wickets or that many catches. Um, it's probably a lot more difficult to have probably a slight more realistic view of, of things, you know, He's playing in 2020, he's travelling the next day, he's playing another 2020. Um, that was, I remember that being my month after the New Zealand series, leading into the India series, was playing white ball cricket and day on, day off 2020s and travelling in between. So um, it's probably the slightly less glamorous side of the game uh, and probably one that isn't reported on or, or thought about as much. Um, and I think we can see that with, in terms of touring now and obviously guys trying to make up for that COVID period. Um, there's just so much cricket on. Um, I think in the middle of the summer to to look at overseas, I don't think I think you've either got the choice of someone from Ireland or or Netherlands. I think they're the only two guys not playing any cricket, um, which is almost remarkable, really, in itself. So, is that something that players are talking about more? I think players are talking more about yeah the the amount of cricket that's being played, um, and obviously, you know where the money's made in cricket is is towards the 2020 side of the game and the white ball side of the game and it also doesn't take as long and it takes people away from their families less time and, and those sort of things so I think it's something that you know cricket as a game needs to be you know cautious of really and, and be careful of to to not overdo it On sorry going into the season how, how do you feel you guys are prepped for this season compared to previous seasons compared to 2018 for example when you won it uh, yeah, I think the boys, you know, I think we've got a young squad uh, now, a much younger squad than we have done. We obviously lost a couple of senior players and, and Jade and Ricky and those sort of things. Um, and I was the old, oldest on deck in, in pre-season, which was quite <laughs> remarkable seeing as I still consider myself about 25, <laughs> but there you go. Um, but yeah, I think we're in a good place. I think, you know, the work the guys are putting over the winter, um, you know, batting and bowling in particular, but also with their fitness and those sort of things, I think we're in a, we're in a good place to, to try and hit the ground running. Burns is an interesting one, isn't he, Phil? Because he's, you know, been in and out of the England side a bit. Um, he's got sort of a, a middling record, although it compares well to the other players they've tried at the same time. Uh, it feels make or break, but it also feels like maybe he is the best opener in the country still, possibly. I mean, let's jump back on the carousel. We'll keep going round and round and round. Uh, I've got a soft spot for Rory Burns as a player. Um, I, I think... He looked like a passably good test match opener a, a year or so ago. He was on fire coming into last summer. Made a good 100 against New Zealand. I still think on what I've seen of the four or five openers that have been looked at over the last couple of years, I still think he's probably got the most to offer. 
at this point. Uh, and there was some interesting footage that came through. Now, I haven't heard the specifics of that interview, but I did speak to him myself last week. Um, and I asked him about his technique and he had spent the time that he would have otherwise been in West Indies simplifying certain elements of it. And uh, he said quite openly, you know, there's obviously a lot of things going on with my technique and rhythm and uh, flow is very key to it and it has to work in sync for me to feel comfortable. And he has sought to uh, reduce some of the more idiosyncratic elements of it. So the head tilt, the iconic head tilt to mid-wicket uh, is gone. And the the kind of the second waggle is my technical term. <laughs> when he takes the bat up and you can picture it in your in your mind and then there's a there's a, there's a kind of a second second uh, movement and sometimes if that movement is slightly off kilter, then he doesn't get into the ball quite as smoothly as he would like. Well, he's simplified that as well. So now what you have is actually a very convincing-looking setup for a left-hander who looks straight down the down the track, picks his bat up behind him, and then just eases into the shot. It looks good. It looks sensible. It looks uh, like it makes sense. Um, and look, it might not work out for him, but this is a bloke with a storied county career anyway uh, and so I could well see him uh, having a good run actually over the next couple of months and then he becomes squarely back in that conversation for England um, yeah this is just a bloke who's just trying to get get make his way through again get to a point where he, he's comfortable with it with his game um, uh, and I feel my instincts is that it'll go really really well and then I would I'd be surprised to be honest if he's not if he doesn't feature again in that England test side by the end of the year at least yeah, and 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 sorry. Do we see them as just firmly mid-table? Do we see them as more or even even less than that, or is that kind of where they've been for the past bit of time? It kind of feels like. Well, if they get a lot of Burns and potentially Pope, if Pope doesn't necessarily find himself back in that eleven, then you kind of have to say that they're in with a shout because those guys are just gonna. You know what they're going to get in the county championship. You might not know what you're going to get when they play for England. Twenty but... wickets was a problem again here yeah. last year. Struggling to get results at your home ground is, is is really tough to win the championship if you don't do that. That's got to be a bread and butter, and they just don't hoover up those home wins. And got Kimai Roach for the first bit of the season. I mean, that, you know that should help. Uh, Dan Worrell from Gloucestershire, the Aussie, should help. But that batting lineup, if they've got everyone available, you could argue it's the best batting lineup in in the country. Um, with Amla coming back as well. Will Jacks, um, Jamie Smith. There, there's a lot of options there. Um, Sam yeah, Curran will be around. Sam Curran playing, yeah, just as a batter to start the season, isn't he? Before but, he gets yeah. fit, and then. But he uh, said he is bowling, so it shouldn't be massively long until he's he's able to and to offer both. And two spinners in Verdi Morris. I mean, they've got. Look, I wouldn't be surprised if we're sitting here in September and they won the title. But I just think there are sides that have got a slightly better, better kind of balanced side. Yeah, and we we haven't mentioned Yorkshire. At least we haven't mentioned Yorkshire, but Butchers tipped them to possibly. Uh, go close to winning it. Um, I guess it's tough to discuss them from a cricketing point of view while there is still this shadow kind of hanging over them. There was an extraordinary general meeting in the past week where they passed a number of key sort of resolutions which has allowed them to perhaps, well, sort of theoretically host international cricket again this summer. There's still a bit more to be checked off on that. There is more to go with the uh, with the ECB sort of um, their disciplinary process as well. So we don't even know yet about possible point deductions. Gary Balance is sitting out the start of the season as well as he sort of 
gets focused, although he will remain at the club, is the uh, the latest news. Um, so it's just so hard to know, like whether as a side, when we don't really know whether at the club got a lot of talent, yeah. got a lot of good players, and obviously Otis Gibson will. He's a top man, immensely popular figure. Um, if they can, if they can get a squad together playing together, uh, then they've got the got the talent to to push things for sure. You know, Harry Brook is. He had a really good year in Red Bull cricket, let alone White Bull cricket last year. In very, very, very interesting player. Uh, so yeah, it, intriguing, really. But on, on the Lord Patel thing, I'm not qualified to talk with any real authority on it. But when you think about the people that they've managed to get together, and what was at stake uh, if that EGM had gone gone the other way, and we've talked about the machinations that play inside the club. Uh, when I saw the news that Patel had been uh, backed unanimously—not unanimous—not unanimously, but overwhelmingly backed—I couldn't help thinking that that is really, really good news for the for the future of the club. Um, and hopefully, him and others can begin to 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 drag that great institution back to where it where it where it ultimately needs to be. Hmm. I have found it quite hard to work out Division Two. Uh, apart from knots looking very, very strong. I I kind of think Durham will go up with the rest, but Joe, you picked uh, Middlesex to go up with knots in the mag. What, what do you like about them? The, that was the, definitely the Shaheen effect. I thought that, I can't remember how long he's around for, but I thought he might win them enough games to get ahead enough of the game that they will they will get up. I, I think Durham are a really good shout as well. I think Glamorgan as well. I think Glamorgan have, with Labashain, Northeast, um, Nessa's over as well. Um James Harris back from Middlesex. I think mean, they got quite. I think I was actually surprised looking through the Division Two sides. I think there are more stronger teams than I would have given Division Two credit for. Actually, um, I think that'll be quite a, a tight race. But it's hard to see anyone stopping Knots as uh, as Division Two winners. I mean, that attack is is good enough for a few Test sides around the world. Uh, the we were picking out certain fixtures that that could be good to watch for for the magazine. Um, and the Sussex Middlesex fixture will be a good one because they've got Mohammed Rizwan as well, Sussex have got Mohammed Rizwan against Shaheen Afridi. You know that would be a classic. And so you're right. There is and they there say is, the quality of the county championship. That's division two. There, there is there is more quality in Div Two than people will give credit for. I think. Yeah, there'll definitely be a clip of them hugging, which just makes uh, Middlesex or Sussex social media managers day or week. Um, uh, but yeah, and it, that was nothing you mentioned in that section. of The mag was just the amount of. Pakistan players that are over we're going to get to, to to Nazim Shah in a bit but it's just I guess it's the IPL effect really which is they're not that they're not able to play in the IPL so yeah. this is but where the, they can get, get some the other interesting one I mean I'm not saying they're going to win Div 2 but Derbyshire have got like a you know world-class coach in Mickey Arthur and obviously he's used his Pakistan connection of having coached them to to reel in Shah Masood who's kind of a understated opener who's you know Hit test hundreds. Hit. He's in brilliant form as well in impact and domestic cricket. Yeah, yeah, hit great test hundred against England a couple of years ago. Yeah, and it's quite interesting to see, you know, how a guy who's coached what Australia, South Africa, uh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, how he kind of changes a club, which kind of was looking like everything was kind of doom and gloom about Derbyshire at the end of last year. They lost Critchley, who was their best player. They brought um, in Lakmal as well. Yeah, uh, on a two-year contract. Uh, and he's given up international cricket, so that's that's a great county signing, really. I mean, you'd think he'd suit these conditions pretty well. Um, it, yeah, it'll be an interesting. It's an interesting test. How how much difference can a coach make? Because you know they've got they, Masood and Lakman are two good signings, but that is as a Derbyshire side that lacks quality in lots of areas. Can Arthur 
drag them up and make them Division 2 promotion contenders. Um, it'll be fascinating to see. Uh, and it's great that Mickey Arthur wants to come and coach Derbyshire in Division 2 of the county cricket, uh, county championship. I mean, that the Peak District is beautiful, though. It is. You know, and, and there's got to be an element of that. You know, he's, he's done the rounds all over the world. This is a beautiful place to come and coach for, for a couple of years. Yeah, we wish him well, actually. Yeah, that, I mean, it is great, I guess, that Derbyshire have that pull. I, I do wonder what it says about the economics of the world game that you have him and, and Otis Gibson, who's an international standard coach, both pulled into county cricket rather than at, you know, uh, at test sides, but great, great for Derbyshire. Um, I've mentioned the mag a lot there, and the county preview section, I'd say, is really excellent this year. Uh, besides team by team previews done by Joe, uh, there's bigger feature on Knotts and Derbyshire, and Joe's also done a, a piece on. Durham's history is a first-class county with this marking their 30th year and there's lots else beside. Oh, we got a special offer, but should we just talk a bit more about the mag and how great it is? Talk all day about the mag. You, you just ask the questions and we'll... <laughs> what, what what else is, is great about the mag? Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it came out quite a while ago, basically because yes. I was ill for a bit. Everyone forgot to talk about the magazine. So <laughs> so now we're back on it's it. Not, we, were, we were banished from even being on the show. I mean, they, they, you know, they pissed off the Barbados for two weeks, didn't they? Yeah. You do. Um, there's a there's a lovely tribute section to to Shane Warne. This is where the the Kirsten one is in this one as well, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Eventually made it in there. Um, I've got my my Golden Summers in there, so make sure you ignore that bit. Um, no, that's the final ever my Golden Summer for yeah. regular readers it magazine. Was so that is bad, a long running series, and Ben has rounded off. No, we like that one. It's genuinely good, Ben. Yeah, yeah. It's it's in the top top half. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Strong phrase there. <laughs> I'll ask you what you really think uh, after the show. Um, uh, anyway, uh, listeners can try Wisdom Cricket Monthly for just £9.99 to get your first three print issues for £9.99 and save 39% on the cover price go to wisdomsubs.com and enter offer code POD22 to get twice as many issues but none of the paper go to bit.ly slash wcwpod6 this will all be in the description of wherever you're listening to or watching this uh, if you go there, you'll save a whopping 58% on the single issue price and be all set for the next six months. Uh, back to our county preview. We've all uh, picked out a couple of players to watch in the county championship this season. Uh, Taha, do, do you want to start us with yours? Uh, well, I sort of mentioned Phil Salt earlier, um, you know, joining from Sussex. Uh, didn't actually play any first-class cricket last summer, um, but I remember a couple of years ago when the Bob Willis trophy was happening, um, that he was kind of He's, you know, he's quite interesting because he's he was opening the batting and he, you know, hits at a decent rate. He's not really kind of, uh, I think he strikes at seventy in first class cricket. So there's something exciting about that. Whether he opens for Lancashire, um, we don't know. But um, seeing him play for England now, obviously that's T Twenty cricket, completely different beast. Um, but he's a, he's a fun player to watch because he just kind of, I think even across forms, he's just going to go and give it a whack. Um, uh, the other one is Nassim Shah at Gloucester. He kind of popped up yesterday doing a tuning interview uh said he'd he'd gone from 38 degrees to minus one um but yeah he's uh 19 years old already been around for a while um hugely exciting you know um bowls it's not that he just bowls fast it's that he has the ability to maintain that pace um throughout a, a whole day's play um the interesting thing will be to see him in county cricket where you're playing week in week out and whether Gloucester try and manage that or whether they just let them go all out. Um, it will, is, it which, will be fascinating. And yeah. if it works, then it opens up that option to other players. If it looks like a, a drudge 
and they don't manage him. I think they will, by the way. I, I can't imagine that he'll be playing every single game. And if he is, he'll certainly be grazing in a long leg for large parts of it. You can't over-bowl a player like that. But if it does work, then, you know, young West Indian quicks, young Pakistani quicks, obviously, um, young Sri Lankan quicks. I mean, how many good young Sri Lankan quicks are there? You can look at that and you can pick up a very, very good wage. But, there is a bit of a stigma attached to it, isn't there? You know, who wants to who wants to bowl quick in England anymore? When you when you think of a, a county side <laughs> signing and overseas quick, you think of a you know from a Pakistani perspective, you think of Mohammed Abbas, right? Who's like very much an English style seamer, or you think of an Australian like Peter Siddle, who's played for countless uh, counties. Uh, you don't really think of the out and out ninety mile per hour quick, uh, which is why this is sort of particularly exciting, and I'm sure it'll be a great learning experience for him. Um, It'll be but, fascinating to see how fast he thinks he should bowl as yeah. well. Because Joffrey Archer always talked about there were so many days in county cricket where he decided, nah, it's not worth bowling fast on, on this pitch. I'm going to just bowl within myself. And he had the skills to do that and still be a hugely threatening bowler. Is Nassim Shah, who, who looks like he just wants to bowl fast every day he bowls, is he going to, is county cricket going to not break him? I mean, hopefully it doesn't break him injury wise, but just is it going to change that resolve? Is he going to think, well, you know, that, that's not actually the best way to take wickets? If that is the case, you know, this is a hugely exciting signing, but if you see him come here and be something different, then that would be quite depressing. Um, so ho- hopefully you see him at his best. If, if he returns and he's 78 miles an hour hitting the top of off, well, nibbling it, it, ways, it. Is it? <laughs> yeah, that'll tell us quite a lot, yeah. Uh, Joe, do you want to give us your players to watch? Uh, yeah, so I had a uh, fast bowler in, in Bryden Cass uh, at Durham, who I think is, he got a knee injury over the winter, which meant he left the Lions and couldn't go to the Big Bash. Uh, I interviewed Scott Borthwick a couple of weeks ago who's his skipper at Durham and said he might miss the first couple of games but he's he's getting there and um, yeah he's one of those players you compare him to other seamers in county cricket and his average doesn't stand out I think he averages 28 or 29 and you know as, as a county seamer you should really be averaging 22 23 but Cast looks like one of those bowlers who you don't want to judge him too much on his county record in terms of what you could do at test cricket he's, he's quick Borthwick said he's, he's generally one of the quickest you'll face in, in county cricket He's strong, apart from the fact he keeps getting injured, uh, and he can hold a bat. He's a sort of he's a bowling all rounder. Could bat at bat at nine, give it a whack. Um, we saw him sort of fill the the Liam Plunkett role in in that um, odd ODI series where he was part of the emergency squads. I think there's potential there. It's probably one day cricket first, but I think we might see him in and around the Test setup in the next eighteen months or so as well. Um, and suddenly, all our fast bowlers are injured as well. So you know, if you can bowl fast and you're fit. <laughs> then you've got quite a good chance of getting picked. Yeah, um, I, think, I think it's a really, really good shout on your part there. I think I saw him bowl last year uh, with a bit of an injury at Essex, but he was brilliant, indomitable. Reminds me a bit of Simon Jones, you know, slightly taller maybe than Jones and not quite as rapid, but similar kind of athlete fast bowler. Uh, and I know that England are really keen on him. Uh, and then I was sort of looking at what England needed and who might be in the mix and you know opening batsmen we'll, we'll, <laughs> we're going to keep going around to it Burns I agree with Phil I think Burns will be right in the mix but then there are two lefties and I've gone with Rob Yates at Warwickshire Tom Haynes was the other one at Sussex I was thinking about I think Haynes is batting in division two big difference he's also got to be captain at Sussex which wasn't the plan but um, Travis Head pulled out I, I, so I, I think that's quite a big ask to suddenly see him playing test cricket soon but Rob Yates Scored five Red Bull hundreds last year, four in the championship, one in the Bob Willis Trophy on on the telly at Lords, which you know helps. Uh, and I just think he's interesting. He he plays in lots of different ways depending on the, the situation. I think that's one thing we've already talked about in this show that, that a lot of 
English young batters have, have failed to do. Um, he's got a quick century against Somerset, which set up their win, which which won them the title. He scored a fourth innings hundred against Essex early doors, uh, blocking out we're well, not blocking out, seeing off Simon Harmer. Um, so th- those kind of things, I think, are what England selectors, when we actually know who they'll be, will think we know he's he's got he's got something about him. And Paul Farbrace, it's a little bit hard to tell with Farbrace because every player you talk to about with Paul uh, Farbrace, he said he's going to play for England and is fantastic. But I think he, some of the things he said about Yates and in terms of his mental makeup and how he thinks he'll adapt to test cricket in that sense technique obviously remains to be seen but he thinks he he's, can see him being comfortable as a test cricketer so he's another one that I'll be keeping a, a close eye on um, this season and yeah I think maybe test cricket this summer is a push but I think maybe a winter tour it might well be on the cards yeah I, I've, I've gone for um, uh, Sam Robson who obviously we know a bit about who, 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 <laughs> Has played some test cricket, but it's just going to be uh, because he was being so talked about in the winter, just because he was in Australia, and because uh, you know people looked back at that record when he first played test cricket, was like that that doesn't look so bad now. Uh, and he also always scores loads of runs uh, early on. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, thousand runs last year, I think, wasn't he one of the few? Yeah, yeah. So he's a uh, he, he's I, th- I think it'll be basically that there there is obviously loads of spots open. And he is now one of those ones who just find himself back in the conversation almost by default. But he does have a chance. <laughs> the other one is Leicestershire's uh, Callum Parkinson. Um, because I think he's one who... So, Joe, we've talked about him on the podcast before. But he uh, uh, just... As as a spinner in county cricket, he has a an actually quite impressive record. And at, might not take too long for a guy like that who uh, is also just from a county point of view of, you know, of, of having got a senior role in that side at a reasonably young age, um, seeing if he does put together a run of form that that can become a conversation reasonably quickly. Um, not saying that that will happen, but that's why I'll be keeping an eye on him. Um, so. Well, he also, he will bowl loads of overs. Yes. And there are not yeah. many spinners around the country who can say that for sure. Uh, he's vice-captain of Leicestershire. He's got a senior role. Uh, yeah. He he will just take he'll take wickets by virtue of bowling lots of overs. So he's going to be in and around the conversation. And I think he's and I think he's really good. Uh, interesting to see it last year as well. There's Rian Ahmed, the the young leggy who was with England yes, teams. Yeah, massive googly. Spoke to Jigger Nike, who's their head of talent pathway now. Who's really really excited about him. He's still only he's 17 or 18. I think he might be 17. So you know he is young. But uh, that he's certainly one of those kind of potential X factor cricketers who I think uh, is going to be really exciting to follow in the next couple of years. Mm, yes, Phil, who from Essex are you following? Matt <gasps> Critchley. Didn't uh, even rise to the dig there. Can't be bothered anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering if you were interested in watching any Division One players, but, but but clearly you pitched your tent in no, no, Div yeah, Two. Yeah. That's fine. I'm, I'm a purist. Sure. Um, yeah, Matt Critchley for obvious reasons. You know, I think he was number two, second in the MVP last year. Made a thousand runs, took a fair few wickets in a struggling Derbyshire side. He bowls leg breaks. He's tall. He's about six foot three. Um, uh, he's as, with the ball. He said he's, you know, he didn't actually say this to me, but he gave the impression that he trusts himself more in white ball cricket than red ball cricket at the moment with the ball. Um, but he will be Harmer's understudy with the ball. Essex like having two spinners historically. That's the way that they're going to go again here. Uh, he he says he says he's he's a genuine all rounder in both formats. So 
Uh, he'll be batting in the top six in the Red Bull stuff, um, and he'll he'll be bowling his fair number of overs as well in what's quite a varied attack now. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Um, and the other one's Jamie Smith here, right? Who at the Oval, who um, has been opening in the preseason games, and Alex Stewart hasn't confirmed yet if he'll be opening, but. It's looking like it's a distinct possibility. If he doesn't open, then he'll certainly be in that first 11, I think. They really, really like him here. Um, if he does open the batting, then I think that's a fascinating move for them. Quite a daring one as well. He's 21 years old. He was their player of the year last year. He's made 400s in 20-odd games. He averages a tick under 40 in Red Bull cricket. He finished last year with 140-odd here, albeit on a, on a shirt front. And a very good 100 the week before against North Ants when Surrey were something like 10 for three and he made 100 from number five. Uh, as I say, they see him as a star. Uh, a couple of people said to me off record that he'll, he'll be an England opener some, somewhere down the line. He's obviously just getting going. And we know how difficult it is for talented young openers to crack it in England. I mean, one name we didn't mention was Tom Lamanby, right? Remember him? You know, 300s in five or six games in 2020 for Somerset. Couldn't lay a bat on it last year. And it might go one or two ways again with who's with, clearly a very talented player. Back to Smith. Uh, they really like him here. He, he likes himself. And I say that respectfully. I interviewed him and you can't fake confidence. Uh, but he's he's got it and he knows what he what he can offer uh so yeah I'm, I'm i'm gonna watch him i think it'll be tough for him initially if he does open i think it'll be tough for him initially but from what i've heard and from what you've seen they they see him as an opening batsman and i asked him that and he said i he said obviously as they all do i'll bat anywhere but he says he said i'd love to open he said he said I've, he said he's been working on opening he's been working on his red ball defensive technique all winter with a view to becoming you know a top order player uh in a club that still has more power and sway than any other in the land. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Yeah. Anyway, there's there's lots of county championship over the next seven weeks, as we said. <laughs> so so we'll, 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 we'll come back to it. Uh, if you want to live stream your matches this season, then look no further than Frogbox and make your fixtures a professional broadcast. Frogbox is the all-in-one streaming kit that makes broadcasting live cricket accessible for clubs, schools and associations in the UK. Designed for recreational cricket... The Frogbox solution is innovative, lightweight and low-cost product designed for volunteer-operated clubs. Integrated with the Play Cricket Scorer app, all you need to do on match day is set up the portable video capture kit and live score the match on the app. The, their automation technology will take care of the rest. This is meant to be really good, by the way. Um, from I've heard a few people mention it in club cricket. It's meant to be great. So yeah, get on it. Yeah, and uh, you can stream to YouTube with high-quality graphics, generate highlights for your greatest moments and connect with your community like never before. I thought you'd finished the ad. No, I know. I was only about halfway through. Uh, Frogbox professionally showcases cricket at any level while offering new revenue opportunities for amateur cricket clubs. The automated graphics package has multiple displays and advertising opportunities available, engaging the end user and delivering high quality visibility for your corporate partners. Capture those special moments with automated highlight generation and join the streaming revolution with Frogbox. Visit their website at www.frogbox.live for further information and start re-managing the match day experience. As Phil says, it's really good. Brilliant. Yeah, that was that was already in there, which was uh, which was weird. <laughs> um, uh, so on to some international cricket. Uh, Pakistan beat Australia two one in an ODI series, come from one nil down. There were two hundreds and a half century each from Babar Azam and Imam Haq. 
Uh, Andrew Morris says, no specific question, but can you please do a few minutes on Baba Azam? And we, we normally do, I think. Uh, it's not new to say that Baba is good, but it does feel like he's gone to another level over the last month or so, Taha. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, um, you know, he's. I think he's been cited for a while that he's kind of probably, if not the best, one of the best all-format batters in the world. But you could still look at T20s and say, oh, he doesn't score quick enough. Or you could look at test cricket and say that he doesn't convert enough. Uh, but when it comes to 50 over cricket, there's there's no sort of there's no counter argument really. He's kind of he's kind of one of the best there is, and probably after Kohli right now. I mean, it's, I mean he's averaging more than Kohli right now, isn't he? Uh, and now has what 1600s? I think five as captain in 12 matches. What's he What's he like? Because I, I get no read on him at all uh, as a as a bloke. Obviously, I get a lot of reads on him as a as a batsman. I think I think he's still quite hard to kind of understand. Really, I think you kind of still. He's not like it. Doesn't seem like he's. He seems oh, quite self-contained, right? Yeah, but there's also times when you watch him captain, and he like he's not good at sort of masking it. He's not that. He's completely the opposite, of like a Dhoni who kind of you could never read. Whereas Barber, you can when he's frustrated, he'll kind of like you can, you can, you can see, see him. It. He throws drops. Doesn't yeah, he? yeah, he throws, and there's there's like there's a stroppiness to it. But I also, in a way, don't mind that. Because you're kind of, he kind of seems like he's comfortable in letting his team know how he feels, right? Um, but there's still not, it's still hard to understand his captaincy. I think he's quite a defensive captain from what I've seen in Test cricket, at the very least. Um, but uh, I mean, the one thing is that it's clear to see now that he still has what what Coley and and Williamson had in those early years, and and still kind of do. Um, what what Smith had is that. The batting is still very much there. I think there might have been a concern with Test cricket whether he was kind of losing it, but then we saw that incredible innings uh, in Karachi, and it's it's very clear that he can he can do the captaincy bit and still do what he does, which is look incredible and score big runs. Um, but yeah, in ODI cricket, there's just there's something else about him in that he has the tempo. In the first ODI, I think he kind of 57 off 70 something when they were chasing over 300 and it kind of looked like he didn't get the tempo right but then in the second one he hit 100 and something off 80 something balls um so already he has a claim to being maybe pakistan's greatest in that format i think saidan was the only bat who's made more hundreds than him and barber's only played like 80 something matches um which is kind of ridiculous for the moment for uh, averages with those with 2,000 runs or more. It's Babar first, Cody second, and Imamah Hack third. He's averaging like 54 in Odo cricket at the moment. Uh, so they've got a lot that's exciting. And it's obviously great watching Shaheen as well. It's, cra- it's crazy that this first over thing he's got is just like this aura where you're, you are genuinely surprised if he doesn't take a wicket, which he played two games and did it twice. And it's not so it's not even particularly good ball sometimes. Like he got two wickets with two full tosses, uh, Finch and then Head, I think. But they just like <laughs> they're just expecting something unplayable. So something that's like a full toss of them becomes surprising and then gets them out. It's uh, it's, an, it's like a force of nature, isn't it? It's so, just always an event. Yeah. And I think it's not just Shaheen who recognizes that. I think it's the rest of the team in that the way they react after balls that kind of like like a ball will kind of go past the edge and it's it's definitely not a nick. It's nowhere near a nick. But the way they all kind of react to it is just, it's just, everything's just so dramatic. Everything is just so heightened because it's the Shaheen over. 
um, on, on the Australia side and the ODIs, I don't think they'll be too worried about the series going down because it's partially a second string team. But Aaron Finch's form has caused a few questions in the Australian media. So he's now gone 15 innings across T20s and ODIs without a half century. And he's talked about questioning himself and knowing his form isn't up to scratch. And he is 35. So that'll be one to keep an eye on ahead of the uh, next T20 World Cup. South Africa begun their series against Bangladesh. They won the first test, which was as expected, but it played out in an odd sort of way with South Africa's spinners doing the bulk of the damage, including four wickets on the second evening for Simon Harmer, playing his first test since 2015, which is nice to see, isn't it, Phil? Yeah, it is. Yeah, he took seven for in the game. It's great to see, great to see him getting getting that platform that he's he's been itching to be back on for quite a while. Um, Maharaj as well, who might kind of have his be looking over his shoulder where he took seven for 30 or seven for, seven for 31 I think it was in that, that second innings Bangladesh are complaining officially to the ICC yeah um, umpiring a, a weird game shenanigans misdemeanours so, so they gave a good account of themselves four and a half days Mohamed Al-Hassan Joy who was part of that under 19 World Cup winning team and a half century in that win in New Zealand he made a, a brilliant hundred they sort of kept the first innings lead down they then bowled Safra out for 200 so chasing 280 to win uh they were quite frustrated on the final even by some umpiring decisions with the team manager saying they could have been chasing 180 rather than 270 if it weren't for the umpires and have since lodged an official complaint with the ICC over uh, some of the decisions. It's not, it's not as if there was one absolute howler or like a, spa, a sort of flashpoint incident. It was just accumulation of decisions which were overturned on DRS and the feeling that overall that meant that you know the umpires' call decisions weren't going their way and that sort of thing. But they were then bowled out 53 on the final morning, so it wouldn't have made too much difference if they were chasing 180 rather than 270, but still be keep, yeah. worth keeping an eye on how yeah, that... I mean, I, I, haven't, the rest se- of the I haven't seen these decisions. I, you know, I don't know how grievous they, they are, but it'd be a shame if one of the consequences of a kind of return to neutral umpires as you know, one of the consequences of COVID and so on results in less trust between between teams. That would be a, an unfortunate, unintended consequence of it, but... I suppose that's the thing is you're always going to have that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll have much more on the IPL next week. But Joss Butler has scored a century and Liam Livingston is still pretty good with bat and with ball. Uh, as it stands, CSK and Mumbai Indians are both struggling. So it's all changed there. But it's also very early days in the competition. Uh, thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed, please do leave us a nice, maybe even a five star review on the app of your choice. Podcast Network.